Uh, we're starting a new series. Um, it's our Christmas series. Um, and my wife, um, who knows, who knows that at the beginning of every new series, she is meant to come and pray over the series. She knows that. And everyone here is a witness because she's been doing this for a year. I invite my wife to come and pray for our new series. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we dedicate this Ruth series into your hand. Um, as new as this book is to, um, yeah, really just dwell into over Christmas, uh, we pray and we ask that your spirit will just really um, convict us and challenge us um, to really uh, fix our eyes on you, Jesus. And um, may we approach this Christmas season as busy and crazy as it is um, with the sure hope that's found in you. Um, Jesus, um, you are the reason for this season. You are the reason that we gather here every week. Um, you are the reason that we have hope in this world and we believe that, um, yeah, that eternal hope is only found in you. So, Lord, through this uh, Christmas series, would you really just uh, bless your people and um, really encourage your people to share the hope with um, those who do not know you yet? Um, and, yeah, may we just really finish this year um, yeah, just resting um, in the hope that's found in you. Uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, wife. <laughs> One of the hardest things to do in ministry is to do the same thing over and over and over again and try to make it different every year. I'm just a straight out, just honest pastor confession. Now, this is my 15th year in ministry. 15th year in ministry? Yeah, 15th year in ministry. So this is my 15th Christmas that I'm preaching from. And if you have been going to church for a while, you'll know that the Christmas story does not change every year. It's the same story. And so one of the challenges is, is how do we make it new? How do we make it fresh? You know? How do, because we believe that the Bible speaks afresh. So my associate pastor, May, and I, we sat down and we, we asked ourselves, how, do we, how are we going to make Christmas fresh this year? And she goes, you should preach from the Old Testament. And in my mind, I was like, but the Christmas story is in the New Testament. She goes, yeah, you should preach on Ruth. I said, Ruth has nothing to do with Christmas. You should, you should just make it happen. And so here we are. <laughs> it's pretty persuasive, eh? My associate pastor, if you haven't met her, she's downstairs. Um, she deals with all, all the hard questions and all the hard people, but I don't tell her that part. Ruth is a, a little, little story in the Old Testament, right? It, it's only four chapters, all right? And so a lot of people miss the story of Ruth, Um. Ruth is one of the only two books in the whole Bible that is uh, titled um, with a female name, the other being, yes, Esther, great. Um, but it's a great story, and hopefully it's a story that, that you'll be able to enjoy. Um, and there is, there is reason why we are doing Ruth for Christmas, and, and I'll touch on that. Today we're in Ruth 1. Let's introduce the story, verse 1 and 2. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem, uh, uh, Bethlehem, all right. No, people not getting it. Okay, that's okay. 
Bethlehem in Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Eli Melech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the name of his two sons were Marlon and Kilion. They were, all right, KJ told me how to pronounce this, Ephraphrites. Sounds like a dog. Ephraphrites. From Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. So this is the story. This is just like any story. This introduction is setting the scene. Okay, really, when you listen to this, don't listen to it theologically. Just listen to it as if this is a story, because it is. So we have a man named Eli Melech who had a wife named Naomi, and they had two boys, um, Marlon and Kilion. Now, they're from Bethlehem. They're Israelites, right? They're God, part of God's people, okay? But they're in trouble. There is a famine in the land, There is a famine, meaning that there is no food in the land. And so they move. They move to a neighboring country called Moab with the intention of finding food. Now, that's the introduction, okay? That's the intro. Verse 3 and 5, 2-5. Now, uh, Eli Melech, Naomi's husband, died. What a bummer. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women. One named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Marlon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left with her two sons and uh, without her two sons and her husband. Pause. All right? This sounds like Korean drama. Uh, if you guys don't know what Korean drama is, it's drama in Korean. Um, If you've ever watched the Korean drama, the first episode is the most important episode. Not only do you get introduced to the character, the settings, but all the chaos happens in the first episode. If you jump to episode two, you don't know why that person has no leg or why that person, you know, is in love with that person. Like, you have to watch it. And it's all the chaos that happened. And in the same way, this this family... You know, they're in, they're, in, they're in a spot of trouble. They've got no food, so they moved to this other country, right? And then you've got Naomi, the, the, the mom, and then the two sons, and the two sons get married. And they get married to, to these neighboring uh, uh, foreign country women, but then 10 years later, the sons die, and the husband already died. Um, life is not going well for them. Um, as much as the story is about Ruth, this chapter is really about Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi. So we're going to sort of circle on that. Verse 6 and 7, okay? When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So Naomi's like, my husband is dead, my sons are dead, meaning that there's no men in the family anymore, meaning that there's no one to work anymore, meaning that there is no way to earn money anymore. And she hears that back home, back home the Lord is providing. So she takes her two daughters-in-law and says, let's go back home. Okay, Remember, this is a story. Okay, Just imagine it as a story. Okay, All right, next part, a little bit longer. Bear with me. Verse 8. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. 
May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. She kissed them goodbye and and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return, return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, now said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Pause. Right. So Naomi's like, okay, there's food back at home. Let's go back home, takes the two girls, Orpa and Ruth, and goes, okay, girls, I'm going to go back home, but you go back to your home. Go back to your mom. Go back to, stay, stay in your country where you can get married again, and then you can have children. So what's, what's interesting is, and, and they don't really talk about this, is actually the, 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 the sons were married for 10 years before they died. And what doesn't get mentioned is, is that in 10 years, they didn't have any kids. Now, it's not like today's society where people get married and they already calculate in their mind, well, you know, I'm going to, you know, we're going we're gonna to be married for three or four years and then we're going to start having kids. They didn't have TVs back then. I'm just saying. They didn't have TVs. So babies came quick, right? That's the reason why people got married. Right, so to, to to not have a kid for ten years, it actually shows that there was actually more suffering and tragedy in their lives more than we can even read. So Naomi releases her daughters, her daughters-in-law, and 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 one of them, Orpah, goes, oh. and she's sad too, and nothing bad about what Orpah did. She then leaves, but Ruth, she stays, and she pretty much begs Naomi. Do not send me away from you. Man, the, the, the way she says it, right? Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from me. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I stay. Your people will be my, my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. That is amazing loyalty. Men, if you are ever going to propose, just quote that. It's amazing. Where you go, I will go. Will you die, I will die. You know, like that is perfect. You don't need to go anywhere else, right? That is an amazing level of loyalty. And Naomi goes, you know what? She's going to come. So she lets her stay. Verse 19, this is the last part of the story. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the woman exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was 
beginning. And that's the end of the chapter. Now, remember, this is a four-chapter story, okay? It's a four-chapter story. So you've got to understand that the story ends at the end of chapter four, not at the end of chapter one, okay? This is the story. This is the setting. This is the characters. You've got Naomi, whose husband died. You've got Naomi, whose two sons got married to foreign women, and then they died. And they have no food. They go back home. She releases the daughters, but one daughter goes, one daughter stays. Okay? That's the setting. It's, it's, it's one of the things that, uh, before we go into the learnings of this passage, is please don't underestimate the tragedy in this story. Please don't underestimate the, the severity of suffering in this story. Now, a lot of time we read scripture and we think, oh, wow, you know, someone's husband died. And, so, and, and we don't really feel it because we feel distant to the characters in the Bible because we think, oh, it's a historical book and, you know, this happened to that person, this happened to that. But think about this for a moment. You're in famine. You got no food. So you move, you, you, you migrate to another country to, to get food. Your husband dies. Your two sons get married to girls and they can't have kids. So there's, there's another element there. And then after 10 years of that, your two sons die. From Naomi's perspective, this is not just a hard life. Like what, what else could have gone wrong? Like how, how much deeper could the suffering have gotten for Naomi? And that's what we need to understand. The context of the story is not like, oh, wow, you know, like some bad things happened. No, the worst things happened. Like the only thing that I can read in this story that isn't mentioned is that Naomi was not physically ill. Everything else is there in that story. Losing the people around you, losing your children, losing your, your future generation, losing your ability to work, you, losing your ability to earn money and to buy food. Nothing. And sometimes when we read scripture, we, we read it distantly, but, but because it's a story, I want you to try to empathize with this. Try to put yourself in the shoes of Naomi. It's bad. It's real bad. Now, there are three major things that we need to learn from, from this passage around the idea of tragedy and suffering. Okay? The first one is this. Tragedy and suffering can hit any, any time, anywhere. Any time, anywhere. This is not guesswork. This is reality. This is the reality of the world we live in today. Tragedy and suffering are not, you know, no one plans tragedy and suffering, but it happens. No one plans to get sick with cancer, but it happens. No one plans to get, get hit by a car, but it happens. No one plans to lose their family members, but it happens. No one plans to go bankrupt, but it happens. This is the reality of tragedy and suffering in our lives. Because we live in a broken world, it is around us. Now, so many times, uh, you know, and we'll probably have two extremes of people, right? There are people like me, and I'll admit it. I can admit it right here, right now, right? Very sheltered life, right? Like, 
The only real tragedy and suffering that I went through were the ones that I caused myself. Like, for example, this morning, my son, uh, Ben, he, he had his birthday today. He turned nine today. Good on you, Ben, on the recording, for record, acknowledging you, second son. <laughs> he goes, we say, where do you want to have breakfast? We'll have breakfast wherever you want. And he goes, McDonald's. And in my heart, I was like, oh, he's my son. <laughs> A son after my own heart. Right, and I go to McDonald's, and in my mind, even last night, I kid you not, even last night, I'm thinking, okay, bacon and egg McMuffin, I don't like the hash brown, okay, just have a small Diet Coke with your bacon and egg McMuffin, because it's the first thing in the morning, 9am. Bacon and egg McMuffin, small Coke. Oh, I have a large Big Mac meal, please. <laughs> I'm telling you right now, I am suffering because of that decision that I made this morning. Oh, and the hotcakes as well. Right? You know, like, I, I'm not proud of this, but you know, I'm, not, I'm not shy about this too. I haven't really dealt with much hardship and tragedy and suffering as some of you have. And I reckon there's a lot of us in that boat too. So when we talk about tragedy and suffering, we're actually talking about it in a very distant way. But for some of us, your middle name, sadly, is tragedy and suffering. Not by your doing either. Some of us have grown up in families where the family was just so broken. Your parents just couldn't love each other enough. Some of us have come from, you know, single, single parent families. Some of us grew up with little to nothing, really had to work, you know, 50, 60, 70 hours a week to make it. You know, I know some of the stories in this room and, and I, all I can do is sit back and just pretend to understand because I don't. But some of us have gone through some real suffering and tragedy. And, and if I was to go one more step, some of us are going through that right now too. You know, the best thing about, you know, so many churches, everyone walks in with their Sunday best. They walk in with their Sunday smile. But actually inside, they're going through hell. Now, I'm not putting you on the spot. I'm just saying that's reality. That's true reality. That tragedy and suffering exist in this world. Yeah, for some of us, it's still a, a very distant idea. But for some of us, we live it out every day. Naomi didn't ask to be in a foreign land and have her husband die and her sons die and have these two foreign daughters-in-law. She, she didn't ask for that. She just went to this land because the husband probably said, hey, let's go to this land. And they said, you know, we, we can go and make a new life there. You know, some of you didn't ask for the lives that you're living right now. Some of you didn't ask for the tragedy that you went through or the abuse that you had to endure. You didn't ask for that, but it happened. It happened. And you need to understand that it's, it's okay. It's okay to just acknowledge that not everything in this life is pretty and perfect. Because it's not. You know, just this week, you know, a 10-year-old boy sitting in the back of his car on the M5, big truck, rams the back of the truck and the kid died. 10-year-old kid. You know, we, we hear of another... You know, terrorist act in, in London, we, we, I think three people died. I don't want to wake up in the morning thinking, you know, I, I might get stabbed today. 
or I might lose a family member today. But it happens. This is the reality of the world we live in. And we all need to really accept that. That's the first thing we need to understand from this chapter. Tragedy and suffering can hit anytime, anywhere. Second thing that we need to understand is that God is not absent during this time of tragedy and suffering. You know, many times when we go through tragedy and suffering, and I hear this from other people, the first thing is they want to blame someone. And it's easy to blame the situation. It's easy to blame someone else. But you know who the easiest to blame is? It's God. And we're talking about people who, who acknowledge the existence of God. It, haven't you heard this, you know, like you're going through a tough time? God, where are you? God, where are you? One of the greatest questions that, that people who, who struggle or going through a tough time, they ask, God, where are you? My dad is dying of cancer. Where are you? I, I'm so in debt that the, that the, that the debt collectors are, are knocking on my door. God, where are you? Or you ask this, God, where were you when I needed you? Where were you when I needed you? Why aren't you helping me? Why aren't you helping me out, God? Where are you? We feel the absence of God in time of tragedy and suffering. But the reality is the complete opposite. Even in our times of tragedy and suffering, God is there. God is present. Even in this chapter, which is full of hardship and suffering, we see the presence of God amongst them. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home. Now, her, her husband's dead, her, her sons are dead, she has no hope, she, she has nothing, and yet she hears that the Lord is providing back home. And in the last verse, verse 22, we see God's hand indirectly pop up again. So Naomi returned from Moab accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning, meaning what? There's food. Now we don't read much into things like that, but you've got you to understand, that's the provision of God. Now we automatically think, we automatically think during time of suffering and hardship, where were you? God, where are you? Why are you not helping me? And yet the reality is, the spiritual reality is, is that God never walked away. God's always there. We call this, uh, we call God the omnipresent everywhere. He's always with you. Even during time of tragedy and suffering. So number one, Tragedy and suffering are a reality. can hit any time, anywhere. Number two, God is not absent during time of tragedy and suffering. And number three, how do we respond? Our response to tragedy and suffering must be through God and not away. Naomi's response during this chapter shows us an example of what we are allowed to do. How we are allowed to respond. Verse 20. This is, a real, this, is, this is a real lady crying out. This is what she says. Don't call me Naomi. Now, the, the, the name Naomi means pleasantness. It's a nice name. You're going to have a daughter. 
Naomi. She comes home and goes, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, which means bitter. So if you please don't call your daughters Mara, that's mean. Why? Because the Lord Almighty has made my life very bitter. Is that true? Yes, it is true. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now, I want you to leave that verse there. The rest of the book of Ruth is going to come to show, chapters 2, 3, and 4, is going to come to show where God is and what God does in this situation. And, and it's a good ending. It's okay. <laughs> it's a happy ending. It's, it, it, it's a reminder that, as I said, it's not just chapter one, it's all the way to the end. But Naomi's current response in her current situation is a very real response. And the thing that we need to understand with it is, you know what, you're allowed to be honest, even to God. What she's saying, hey, God has made my life bitter. You know, if you're going through time of, of struggle, if you're going through time of tragedy, you know, you, you don't have to pretend in front of God and go, God, you know, like, oh, you know, eh, it's not that bad. You know, I'm, I'm just going through the hardest time in my life, but, but you know, like, you know, I'm, I'm, you know we're good. Now, see, I, I haven't gone through much tragedy and, and, and suffering, but in my own time of tragedy and suffering, I have given it to God. I have given it to Him. I've asked him questions, Lord, where are you? Lord, why, why, why are you doing this to me? What have I done to you, God? Haven't I, haven't I tried to do everything I could for you? What? But the first thing we need to understand about our response during suffering and tragedy is, one, you can be honest to God. And it's, you need to go to God. Never in this chapter, Naomi doubted the existence of God. Right? In her response, she calls him Lord and Almighty. The existence of God and that God is Almighty. And she uses the term over and over again. Even when she's sending her daughters off, uh, she blesses them. Verse 8, may the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Of course she's upset at God. Why wouldn't you be? She has every right to be upset at God. She has every right to be bitter because she feels like the hand of God has turned against her. But what she doesn't do is walk away from God. What she doesn't do is walk away. Yes, she's angry. She's bitter. She's frustrated. But she doesn't walk away. You know, so many times when we go through tragedy and suffering, we're quick to walk away, aren't we? We're quick to dismiss God. We ask questions like, God, where are you? Oh, you must not be around. I'm out of here. I've seen this over and over again. That's it. 15 years in ministry. I've seen people go through tough times. And I've seen it go both ways. Either they draw into God or they draw out of God. What Naomi is showing us is that, one, you can be real in your response to God, but you've got to go to God to deal with this stuff. We can't fall into the temptation of walking completely away. Why? Because we believe that God is real and that God has everything under control. Now, you might not see that. 
You might not feel that. But that's who God is. That's who God is. God sees all, knows all, and is still in control. How do we respond in time of tragedy and suffering? You go to God, not walk away from Him. Now, we talk about suffering, we talk about tragedy in this world, but do you know what the number one tragedy of all humanity is? It's our brokenness. It's our brokenness when we walked away from our Creator. Now, you might be talking, you might be thinking to yourself, poverty is the greatest tragedy or, or famine or, or drought or, or all these you know, bad things. No, 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 actually, it, it, culmination of all of that, the, the, the biggest tragedy that we go through as a human race is that God created us and we walked away. That is the greatest tragedy. He created us and we chose to not include him in our lives. That's tragic. That's tragic. But because of God's great love for us, even though we walked away in our sin, God chose to run after us and pursue us in our lives. And the culmination of this, the climax of this, is what we celebrate at Christmas. is the birth of Jesus Christ, his son. Now, Jesus will live 30 years and then three years of ministry and then will die on the cross. The decision that we made to walk away from God and the sin gap that was created, Jesus will come, die on the cross, and he will bridge that gap. We, until Jesus turned up, were living in complete hopelessness. We didn't just sin against some guy. We sinned against the creator of the universe. Like it's one thing to be a smart aleck to your brother and sister, okay, at home. For those that have siblings, you'll understand this. It's one thing to, you know, kick your older brother in the butt and run away and you can get away with it. You, you might get caught and get a small beating and whatnot. But it's another when you do it to your dad. You're dead. <laughs> right? Like, I watch my kids, you know, and they, they muck around with each other, which is great, and I think it's cute and whatever, and, you know, it all goes all, all directions, up, down, up, down. And I think it's cute until they do it to me, and then it's not cute, and then one of them loses an arm. You know, like, we didn't just, we, we didn't just walk away from some king or even the prime minister of our country. We walked away from the one that made us. It's a big deal. This is a big problem. Because the result of sin is death. Not just death in this life, but eternal spiritual death. And if God did not send Jesus to die on the cross, then every single one of us would be condemned to that death. Jesus isn't just a good thing. Jesus is the only good thing. We talk about hope. The belief that things are going to get better. 
Name me one thing in this world that gives you hope for your life. You know, we, we put our hope in so many different things. Money, family, our children. And we think that by investing into these things that our lives will become better. The gym, getting physically fit, going to live to, you know, 150. You know, our looks, spending four hours in the bathroom doing this. I don't even know what you do, just this. <laughs> you know, we, we, we put our hope in these things, but the reality is, what will they do for you? Medicine, great. It's very important. But the best thing that medicine can do for you may give you an extra five years of your life. What will you do after that? Is there a medicine that will stop you from dying? Is there a medicine that can completely cure you from all illness? There's not. And yet we put so much of our hope in that. What about relationships? You know, sometimes people think, right, and this is, you know, one of the biggest lies in the world, is that when you get married, that you will become complete. When you become married, that you will solve all your problems and all the married people would be like, nope. Why? Because we're putting our hope into something that's not going to last, that's not perfect. You know, we all, we all suffer. We all go through tragedy. The question is, who will you put your hope into? The reason why Jesus, the reason why we celebrate Jesus, the reason why we celebrate the birth of Jesus at Christmas is because he is our greatest hope. Because when we put our trust in Jesus, it's not that Jesus will not just take care of our life on this side, but it's when we die, which we all will one day, that he'll take care of us on the other side, for all eternity. And that's what he promises. That's what Christmas is about. That's what hope's about. That's why we're doing Ruth. That's what I worked out why we're doing Ruth after May told me to do Ruth. Ruth is a book of hope. It's going from the worst situation and God's going to play it out to something amazing like more than what you can imagine. That is the reality in our lives with Jesus. He takes us from the bottom of the pit. I don't care how good you think you are. I don't care how holy you think you may have been or, or how moral you have lived your life. In the presence of God, it's not even close. And yet he took you and he saved you. And he's going to give you eternal life. That's real hope. So, let me ask you, are you going through tragedy? You're going through suffering. Friends, it's okay to say you're hurting. It's okay to be honest. It's okay to admit that you don't have your life all together. Because actually, if we're really honest, most of us don't. We've got more doubt. We've got more questions. You know, the reality is you're listening to this and even right now you're like, if only he knew what I was going through. Yeah, 100%. But I'm still saying the same thing because I still think it's the truth. What you do with that and how you respond to that, you either run to God or you run away from God. 
And I promise you, if you try to run away from God and try to work this out on your own, it's not going to work out for you. It really, really won't. So take it to God. Whatever you're going through. However impossible you think that your situation is. However impossible you feel like your addiction is. However impossible you feel like the brokenness is in your family. Take it to God. And let God be the hope of your life. Acknowledge that God is real. And acknowledge that God is almighty. And that even though we are not in control, acknowledge that He is because He is God. Friends, God is present. Whether you feel it or not, He is present. Whether you know it or not, He is present. And just because you don't have the faith to believe that, it doesn't discourage God. God is with each and every one of us. And we know this because He sent His Son, Jesus, Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's the God we serve. And it's His Son that we celebrate at Christmas. I pray no matter what you're going through in your life right now, that you would choose to take it to a place of real hope, real possibility of hope, not just the worldly standards, real hope that's found in God and His Son, Jesus. Let's pray.